We've been in the book of Hebrews as he has been encouraging these Christians to be strong in the faith, to not give up on their faith, uh, to be able to not give up under the pressures and the sufferings and the difficulties that they are experiencing. And in fact, as was just read for us, this is the first time we get a little bit of a description of what they are experiencing. We're getting a picture of some of the things that they are going through. And what we have then in this paragraph is a description about the need for endurance. Uh, and it's not too often where you have a, a place in the scriptures where you get such a concentrated um, image and teaching and like this when it comes to endurance. Sometimes you kind of have to move through different areas and see this. And all in this one section, you're going to see here five different ways, five ways these Christians are able to have endurance. And I would submit to you as we look at this, that is something we would all sign up for and say, well, what does it take to have endurance? The whole book has been about having a deeper vision of Jesus so that you will stand fast and not give up. And here he really boils it down to five things that they have that will help them maintain faith and to have the endurance that they need. You'll notice what he does in verse 32 where he says there, Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. He starts off by just reminding them, and he says, I want you to remember what you've experienced in the past. I want you to remember what you've endured before. You endured this hard struggle with suffering. You notice he describes them having this persecution and public insults that are being levied against them. They are being reviled. And not only that, some of them were even being put in prison. And some of them had the plundering of their property. They had their property seized. And I want you to consider for a minute, why would you remind them of this? You know, nobody wants to think back to all the painful experiences that you go, have go on. But notice in verse 32, it says, I want you to remember this. You need to recall your former experiences. I want you to remember all that you went through before. Why? Why do you want me to think about that? And the reason why that he's laying it out for them is, They made it through last time. They endured last time they went through this. You have gone through difficulty. You have suffered. You have endured hardship. You have been thrown in prison. You have been reviled and insulted publicly. You have lost your property. And you were able to go through it successfully. You had endurance before. Not only did they have endurance before, you will notice that he describes it there in in verse 34 that you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. You not only endured it, you endured it well. You went through that suffering and you were joyfully accepting what you were going through. And not only that, he says there in verse 34, you had compassion on those in prison. You were helping others who were going through these hardships. 
What's his big point as he opens this up on how you can have endurance in what you're going through now? His first thing is, remember how you succeeded in enduring in the past. You've gone through hard things before. You can go through hard things again. And I would submit to you, when you listen to what is being told and reminded of them of what they went through, you think about not only public insult, but difficulty, suffering, loss of property, all that they are going through, some even being put in prison. And he's saying, if you could get through that suffering, you can get through the next one. And it's so important for us to remember how God has gotten through, gotten us through our times of suffering and our times of difficulty in the past. It is so important to remember that you have suffered before. You have gone through hardships before. You have had grave difficulties. And God carried you through that time. You can handle what lies ahead because of how you were able to endure your past. And that's what he just says. Why would you want to remind them of all the things that they've gone through? Except to say, don't don't forget how you had strength before. Don't forget how you were able to be strong through that so that you will have strength again. I think sometimes it's easy to forget how hard things were in the past. How difficult things were. It's hard to, to remember how you were brought through all that. You kind of just look back on it and go, it wasn't that bad. But at the moment, it seemed horrible. It seemed the worst. It seemed the darkest. It seemed impossible. It seemed like there was going to be no way out. And yet you were able to endure. And that's what he's bringing up here is you were able to do it. You've had it in the past. You can do it again. And notice he applies another reason to this. The second reason is he says there in verse 34 is you've gone through this and you've joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. He says there in verse 34, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession, an abiding one or an eternal one, a lasting one. You were able to get through the difficulty the last time around because you knew something. You had your mind focused on something. In fact, it was focused on the most important thing. You knew that you had a heavenly possession. You knew you had something that was lasting. And so it didn't matter if you lost the earthly things. Because the earthly things are temporary. Everything that we see in this life, everything that we possess, everything that we have, everything that we value of an earthly nature is temporary. There is only one thing that is lasting. And I I just think it's hard for us to remember that. That there is nothing here that has permanent value. And we place such an emphasis on that. We value these earthly things. We we make them the highest priority. And we pay all of our attention to it. And we give our time to it. We give our effort to it. We will sacrifice things that are actually important for things that do not have a lasting value because we look at it as if it does. There is not a single thing that we have that's going to make it. 
Uh, just think about how many things do you still own from decades ago? How many of those things have lasted? You probably threw them away. Even though at the time they had great value, thought. I thought I would do a, a research experiment on this. I, I thought seven years ago, the iPad 3 came out. It cost $499, so after taxes you spent over $500 to be able to have the brand new iPad 3. Seven years ago. And I thought, in pristine condition, what is its value today? And so I got online to those buyback sites, you know, because somebody spent over $500 for it. You know how much they would buy back your pristine brand new iPad 3? $5. That's what they'll pay you. They will pay you $5 for your seven-year-old iPad in like new condition. Oh, but it's the most important thing. It is so valuable. It's going to change our lives. It's going to be in the trash can in seven years. It, it, that's what we do. Somehow, some way, we place such an emphasis on the physical, on money, on wealth, on stuff, on things. All of these things are deteriorating. I've joked with you so many times about, you know, the brand new car that you park five miles away from the store so that nobody will touch it. And you give, give it a few years and now you don't mind scraping it in between two jalopies because it doesn't matter now. It's all scraped up. It's all falling apart. Your car is the jalopy and everybody else is trying to stay away from. But then we place such a value on it. Our homes are so important, our cars are so important, our stuff is so important, the technology is so important, the latest, greatest, best thing that you will throw away in just a few years and you'll be dissatisfied with it over time. You notice what he told them? He says, you endured because you remembered you had a lasting possession. You have something that is really, really valuable. Everything else is temporary. Nothing else is going to last. Even we're not making it out of here alive. We're not going to be here forever. Nothing's going to last. And so he tells them that you knew yourselves. You had a better possession. Who cares if they take my property? Who cares if I lose my things? Who cares if you put me in prison? These things are temporary. You knew you had a lusting possession, a better possession, an abiding possession. That needs to be the focus in endurance. If we are going to endure, then we must realize that we have something valuable. And that's what he says in verse 35. Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. This is the real reward. This is what really matters. Your stuff doesn't matter and your money doesn't matter and your job doesn't matter. It's all temporary. It's all going away. Nothing is going to make it out of here. And so we have to stop looking at those things. Stop focusing on those things. Stop thinking that those are the most important things. They're not. How we throw away our lives. Just throw away so much time. And so many lost opportunities. So many things in life just wasted over things that have no lasting value. Uh, Does that mean I'm in my midlife crisis now? I mean, I just start thinking about that. Half my life's gone if I'm lucky. If I'm lucky. And you just think about how much time has been wasted on stupid things. 
on temporary things, things that don't last, things that are not going to matter. And the need for endurance comes from focusing on the things that really matter. To really focus your life on the things that matter most. The things that have a lasting value. You know you have a heavenly possession. And that changes how you look at life. It changes how you deal with your trials. It changes how you deal with suffering. Because you know you have something valuable that is not temporary. That will not fade away. That will not be taken away from you. That you have with God. This heavenly great reward. Number three. Pictures of endurance. This might be my favorite in in verse 36. For you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. That might be my favorite. Because God just simply says, you need to have endurance. (laughs) Sometimes you just need that kind of statement. It's like, okay, remember your past. Remember how you've endured. And remember the possession that lies ahead. And then he just comes to us and says, who said life was going to be easy? Who said that? Where did God make a promise to any of us that it was going to be simple and easy and comfortable and go exactly how it all planned in our mind and the vision that we had when we were teenagers was just going to be laid out perfectly? God says, you have need of endurance. Who told you life was going to be simple or go according to plan? In fact, if you think about it for a minute, Who in the scriptures of God's followers had an easy life? Name one. I'll give you a minute just to run through the Bible. Start with Adam. Who had an easy life? Who had a comfortable life following God? Who had it where they were like, you know, laying in hammocks, palm trees, you know, serving God and it was easy. Friends, the person we follow endured amazing suffering. We follow that guy. We follow our Lord and Savior who endured so much. How can we think that there will not be the need for endurance? Nobody said this was going to be easy to follow God. Nobody said life was going to go the way we wanted it, the way we planned it, the way it would be easy for us, the way it would be comfortable. And the sooner we get that out of our minds, the easier endurance will be. I think that's why the writer of Hebrews says that you were able to endure in the past. Don't forget all that you've endured in the past. And you were able to endure because you were looking forward to the lasting possession, the great reward. So what do you need to do right now? He just says, you need endurance. Because endurance is the call of life. That's what this is all about. In fact, if you might remember, James comes along and tells us, you want to know why you're going to have trials and you're going to have suffering and why you should have joy in the middle of your difficulty? Because the testing of your faith produces, first one on the board, endurance, steadfastness, perseverance. 
Why is it going to be that way? Because that's what we need. We need a greater endurance. We need a stronger perseverance. That's exactly what we need. That is what we need for faith. And I think the sooner that we mentally prepare ourselves for a future endurance, the better that will help us to endure in faith. I'll kind of prove this in a strange way. And this is no offense to any dentist in the audience. But, you know, one of the ways that you are able to endure the dentist's office is because you mentally prepare yourself and you go, this is not going to be fun. (laughs) This is going to be painful. I know it's going to hurt. I know what's going to happen. And you mentally prepare yourself for what that time is going to be like. It matters when you mentally prepare yourself for it. It's one of those things like whatever you go through in life, if you go, oh, I know this is going to take a really long time, then it's not quite so bad because you knew that was going to be that way. Life is not going to be easy. And following God is not going to be easy. And we are going to suffer. And we are going to have trials. And we are going to have difficulties and life is not going to go according to plan and it's not going to be comfortable. And unfortunately, I'm afraid that what has happened in our prosperous society is that what Satan has done has made us such weak Christians when it comes to endurance because we're just so used to comfort and ease and instantaneous satisfaction that the moment things don't go our way we have the temptation to shake our fist at God and go well where are you in this this isn't what I signed up for why aren't you making my life comfortable why aren't you doing what I want And I love that the writer of Hebrews comes into these Christians who are struggling with their faith right now. They're going through difficulties. And he just tells them, you need to endure. You need to know that that's what it means to walk with God. That that's what this life looks like. I want to draw your attention to something else in verse 36 that I think is very important. Where he says in verse 36, you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Please underscore what he tells them. In your suffering and in your endurance, you still need to do the will of God. Did you catch that? You have need of endurance so that when you do the will of God... Notice he doesn't give them an excuse and go, you know, I know things are really hard. So it's okay for you to disobey. Suffering is not an excuse for disobedience. And please connect up with why that is so important. Remember our prior paragraph last week. Last week when he laid this out about the necessity of sincere hearts coming before God and the need for us to come together to motivate each other to love and good works because 
If we step away from God, he describes in verses 26 through 31 there, that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, for God will judge his people. Do not give up. Do not quit. And so this is why this paragraph is here. Is you must keep going forward. And even in your suffering, you must not rebel. You must not disobey, but you must continue to do the will of God. In fact, you'll notice that verse 37 gives the proof of this, which is the final two pictures that he gives of endurance. In verse 37, for yet in a little while, and the coming one will come and not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Now, if you have cross-references, you might note that this is coming from Habakkuk chapter 2, that this quotation is coming from. Habakkuk chapter 2 is, really the whole book is a fascinating book. Really, one of the rare books of Scripture where you get to read not a prophet prophesying, but a prophet questioning God about what God is doing. And you have Habakkuk starting off by telling God, The people of Judah are miserable sinners, and God, you need to do something about that. That'd be my summary of chapter 1. And God's answer to Habakkuk is essentially, you're right. I am going to raise up the Chaldeans, a terrifying Babylonian nation, and what they are going to do is they are going to come and they are going to judge Judah. There you go. And Habakkuk in chapter 2 then kind of goes, well, okay, (laughs) we're bad and we're worthy of judgment, but Lord, the Babylonians are evil too, and they're worthy of judgment. That doesn't make any sense. And God's answer is what this quotation comes from. God's answer is number one, God's going to do something about that. Habakkuk, don't worry about that. I know the Babylonians are a wicked nation and God's going to judge them too. God is going to deal with evil. He's going to deal with suffering. His justice will certainly come. God's not letting anybody slide by here. And think about how that would apply to these Christians now in the first century that are receiving this this sermon, this, this book. Here they are going through suffering and they are going through difficulty. What is the call of endurance for them? Wait for it. God will do something about it. God will judge those people. God will vindicate his people. God will do what is right. That is a message that comes from God for every generation. Think about the book of Revelation. We've been talking a lot about that, the Lord's Supper. Let's talk about it now too, the book of Revelation. What is one of the big messages there? This is the call for the endurance of the saints. You're going to be faithful. But what is all the prophecy showing? Judgment coming upon the evildoers. Judgment's going to come against these various nations. God will certainly deal with them. Even you see in the end times there, the picture of dealing with Satan and final judgment. God is going to deal with all of these things. God will certainly do something. 
We can have endurance because we know that God will ultimately deal with evil and with suffering. The Apostle Paul makes that argument in Romans chapter 12 and verse 17. Listen to what he says. He tells these Christians, repay no one evil for evil. I don't want you to retaliate with people. Just because somebody does something to you gives you no right to do something back. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. I don't care what the other person did. You do what is honorable in the eyes of everybody else. You do the honorable thing. You do the right thing. If possible, as much as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. You be the peacemaker. It doesn't matter what they did. You be the one who brings peace. Beloved, listen to it, never avenge yourselves. You're not the one that's supposed to be avenging. You're not the one that's supposed to right the wrong. You're not the one that's going to go in and do something about it. He says, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. What did he just tell them? God will take care of it. You do good. You do what's honorable. You don't repay evil for evil. You be the peacemaker. You do what's good. You don't avenge yourself because God will take care of it. So then he says, to the contrary... Please listen to this. If your enemy is hungry, be sure to make it worse on them. Because they're your enemy and they deserve it. Wait, I read that wrong. Not if your friend or if your... If your enemy... You feed them. And if it's your enemy that's thirsty, you give them something to drink. How are you supposed to do that? How are you supposed to do good and not avenge yourself and do what is honorable and be kind and not retaliate and have these kinds of righteous, Christian, loving responses to even those who are enemies, even trying to live peaceably with them. Because God says, I will ultimately take care of all that. So don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what we're supposed to do. You don't respond with evil. You don't respond being Vengeance is mine, I will repay. You do good. If your enemy is thirsty, give them a drink. Your enemy is hungry, you feed them. How? Because endurance comes from the knowledge that God will right wrongs. That God is the ultimate judge. That God is just. And that's what he's telling them here. In verse 37... 
For yet in a little while, the coming one will come and he will not delay. You can trust that God is going to take care of this. That goes to Habakkuk. What's God saying to Habakkuk? You trust in God to take care of the situation with the Babylonians. That's all right. God will deal with the Babylonians. Here in the first century, to these Christians who are suffering, God will deal with your persecutors. God will deal with those who threw you in prison and took your property and did all these unkind, unrighteous, evil things to you. God will deal with that. And the same thing to us. And finally, number five, verse 38, the rest of the quotation. But my righteous one shall live by faith. What does he tell Habakkuk to do? What he tells Habakkuk to do is essentially... Endurance is about persisting in faith despite hardships. Or to say that another way, the life of faith has always been about relying on God. In fact, I would perhaps put it the other way even. How else do we show our trust in God Except that when life is not going well, when we are suffering, when difficulties do come, that we still trust God, that we still do the will of God, and we still do exactly what we read in Romans about doing what is right and good and honorable. How else do we show faith in God? If we don't do that, then that's a lack of faith. I don't know that we've always thought about it that way. But I think it is interesting in the context of suffering. The writer of Hebrews says the righteous one lives by faith. We trust God. Which means then a lack of endurance is a lack of faith. I just kind of flip that to the other side. If endurance is the life of faith, then lacking endurance is ultimately a lack of faith. We do not trust God to take care of us. We do not think that he is going to provide. We do not think he's going to work this out. We don't believe he's going to carry us through our suffering. We don't believe that he's going to bring us to the other side. We don't believe that he will deal with the evildoers. And so therefore we must do something ourselves. Friends, I hope in our in our journey that we've done on Sunday nights, as we've looked at the Exodus and we've looked at Deuteronomy, we've seen in numbers what the people did. The failure over and over again is a lack of belief that God is going to take care of it and that they must act. We need to take care of ourselves. We need to look out for ourselves. We need to watch out for ourselves. And that is rebellion. That is a lack of faith and that is a failure. God is trying to tell us that the righteous live by faith. They trust in God to deal with the circumstances. And please listen to verse 38. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. That is a sharp stinging rebuke right there. The righteous live by faith. And if we refuse to trust God, if we refuse to turn this over to God and let God deal with it, and we refuse to endure through the suffering, through the trials and the hardships and the mistreatment, if we just refuse, notice that God says, my soul takes no pleasure in that one. 
I don't know of a more terrifying statement. God takes no pleasure in those who do not possess endurance. We've been called to endure. Let me flip that the other way around then. That means God takes pleasure in you when you do endure. Your faithfulness and you continuing to do the will of God in the face of evil and you continuing to be right and do right things and be upright and continue to be just and do good in all of those circumstances and continue to endure in the face of all the suffering that you face. Here's God saying, I take pleasure in that person. I take pleasure in your endurance. I do not take pleasure in those who shrink back. But I take pleasure in those who do. Verse 39 as the conclusion. I love this ending. But we are not those who shrink back. And I'm destroyed. Can I wish we could just like stand up, huddle, and say that to each other? What he just described in verse 38, that's not us. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. That's not us. You see this mental fortitude idea? That's not us. We are going to endure. We are going to stay faithful. We are those who have faith and preserve their souls. We are not going to give up. We are not going to turn back. We don't care how hard it gets. We don't care how difficult the trials are. There is nothing that we cannot endure for the sake of God. There is nothing too hard that we cannot do for the sake of God. If we believe that God is sovereign over all things, and we believe that He is in control, then He has not given us too much to completely devastate us and destroy us. We will not give up. We will not shrink back and we will not turn away from Him. This is a testing of faith. This is a testing of faith. And everybody in the Scriptures has gone through it. I just think of Abraham right now. And God says, well, here's what I want you to do. Your only son that you love, just go ahead and offer him up to me. I think I would say, that's too hard. You ask too much. Why does the book of Romans use Abraham as the model of faith? Because that's what we've been all called to, is that kind of faith, an enduring faith. A faith that does the will of God in the most difficult of circumstances. A faith that does the will of God no matter the cost. A faith that does the will of God no matter what it takes. So let's conclude then with just bringing these five things together. Number one, to have the endurance we need, let's remember how God has gotten us through in the past. Remember what God has done for you and how he has carried you through previous trials, how he's helped you through prior suffering. And you can have endurance to get through the one you are in or the one to come because God has carried you through before. Number two, Don't look to this life. 
Don't look to what you're losing now or how painful it is now. Look to the greater reward. Look to the lasting possession. That's what matters. Endurance comes from keeping our eyes on what matters most. Keeping our eyes on eternity with God. And as glorious as that will be, we keep our eyes on that and that gives us endurance. Number three, nobody said life was easy. And God never told you it was going to be easy. In fact, I submit to you, God told you ahead of time it was going to be hard. It was going to be difficult. Suffering will come. Trials will come. They are appointed by God as a means to increase our endurance so that we increase our faith. Number four, trust God. He will deal with it. He will deal with it. We don't have to. Finally, the righteous live by faith. That's what we've been called to. There is no other way to show true faith in God than to continue to follow him and continue to do his will when life is completely upside down and you are suffering and you are in trials and you are in pain. That's why the writer of Hebrews puts this here. You have what you need for endurance and we encourage you to have that enduring faith. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, as the writer of Hebrews says, we have need of endurance. Lord, we pray for greater strength. We pray for a deeper faith. We pray for a strength that will take our eyes off of this physical world and off of physical possessions and off of the physical suffering and that it would be squarely placed upon the eternal joy and eternal hope of being with you. I pray that we would be lifted up and encouraged by what we see in the book of Hebrews this morning. And I pray that our hearts and our eyes are wide open to the fact that you are with us. You have not left us. You have not given us up. But have given us everything we need to have the strength to endure whatever we face today and whatever we will face tomorrow. Lord, thank you for Jesus that gives us the strength and thank you for his forgiveness for as often as we fail to trust you. We fail to leave it in your hands. We fail to keep our eyes on eternity. And we begin to walk by sight. Forgive us of these failures. And may we change today in the way that we perceive our lives and that we can move forward in endurance to the heavenly goal that's set before us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I encourage you to turn.